Hello people. Hi podcasts. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this project is for you and I together to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over however long that takes and whatever pace that suits you. You're very welcome whether you're here for the first time or you've been on this journey for a while now. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you receive your podcasts from on whatever platform and that way you need never miss another single episode. So welcome to today's episode where we'll be looking at continuing our study time together, going through the Gospel of Mark and the title for today's message is Crossing the Line with Jesus. So thank you again for joining me and do hang on at the end where I'll give you a few updates of how you can connect to this ministry in other ways. So with that said, it's bye-bye for now. You know, in every village, every town, every city, every country even, there are social lines of separation. People in one town might consider themselves better than those who live in another town. Different parts of cities are seen as desirable or undesirable, and they're viewed very differently by those people across other areas. But if you drill down into the localities themselves, you'll find that even a street sometimes can have a dividing line. You might live on the wrong side of the street, literally, or you might have, in the UK, what's called a different postcode. Just as a note out of interest, a few years back I worked on a social research project which meant visiting and interviewing people who live in, in the UK, what we call a mobile home. Probably, I think in the States, you'd call it a trailer park. Now, the people at the front of the park definitely thought that they were better and were from a higher social class than those living at the back of the park. There were two simple concrete steps that divided the people who lived at the front of the park from the people living at the back, and the people at the front referred to the area at the back of the park as the ghetto. So like I say, there are lines across all areas of societies. People really love to socially separate themselves from other people and suggest they are on a better setting, if you like. But that's only one type of dividing line. When Jesus walked the earth, he too encountered lots of lines of social separation. Only in his day, the most clearly seen lines were the religious one. And the people followed these religious rules for the society and they would never cross those lines. One of the most radical thing that Jesus has seen to do is he confronts those attitudes and prejudices of that day and he certainly stepped over and crossed those lines. Doing that was both important and dramatic and his reasons for doing it remain significant to this day. So, we're going to think today about the lines that Jesus crossed and what was the significance of him doing that. And to find the answer to that, we're going to look again in the Gospel of Mark. Now you cannot fail to notice that today's episode will actually straddle two chapters of Mark. We're going to close off the second half of chapter 7 and, and the, do the, the opening section of chapter 8. So you might think that in a sense we've crossed the line of a chapter break as well today. And the reason that we're doing that is that all of these events happen in a particular geographical area. 
the crowds here and the people that Jesus meet are different to those who have gone before and those who will subsequently appear in future narratives. And I want to use this passage as an illustration of those lines that Jesus is crossing on these days. And for that reason, we're going to consider these three events that we're going to witness in this chapter straddling passage. The first is an exorcism where he casts out a demon. Then the second is the healing of a deaf person who also has a speech impediment, by the way. And the third is the feeding of the 4,000. Now, this is a different feeding to the feeding of the 5,000, just in case you didn't know that. Now, these stories on the surface appear fairly straightforward in terms of their narrative. Until you understand the significance is what is going on here involved Jesus crossing some very clear social and religious lines. In all of these cases, Jesus crosses a social barrier and a religious barrier. And that, I believe, is what's really important about these three stories. So with that in mind, we're going to pick up the text where we left off last time, where it will tell us what Jesus is doing here. And it opens by saying it's from there. So he's in Israel at the moment, Palestine. He arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but it could not be hidden. Now, the minute we see that Jesus is now in Tyre and Sidon, we should note that he has left Israel. Tyre and Sidon was an area of what was called Phoenicia, and that was Gentile territory. And this is the one and only time in all of the Gospel accounts where Jesus is seen to live Israel and go and minister, if you like, in non-Jewish territories. Now, the people of Phoenicia, they were not only Gentiles, but they were also anti-Jewish Gentiles. So this is what we would today call going into hostile territory, certainly in religious terms anyway. So the point I'm making is this is a radical divide that is being crossed here, primarily religious, but also it would be cultural and social as well. Josephus, a Jewish historian of the first century, said the Jews of Jesus' days considered the people of Phoenicia as their most bitter enemies. So Jesus is crossing here a line of separation, a line specifically constructed as a barrier between two groups of people. And Jesus crosses that line. Now it seems to me he went there to rest, but the text says he could not be hidden. So why not? Well, the next verse tells us why. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. His presence, you see, could not be hidden because his fame had gone before him and everybody knew he was there. Now, let me say that this woman has all kinds of things going against her when it comes to trying to get her particular family problem, shall we call it, sorted out. In the first place, she's a woman. And in the Jewish society, men didn't speak to women unless the woman was their mother or their wife or their sister. So the very fact that Jesus goes and speaks to this woman in public means he's already crossing a number of lines. Furthermore, she's also a Gentile, and Jews didn't speak to any non-Jews, especially those of Greek extraction. So she wasn't exactly in pole position when it comes to getting in front of Jesus. But here she is, and she presents, and she has a demon-possessed daughter, as it's described. 
So she comes to Jesus and says, will you cast the demon out of my daughter? And Jesus' reply is very interesting. He says, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So what does he mean by that? Well, most commentators agree that Jesus is using a metaphor here and the children are referred to as they are frequently in the New Testament gospel accounts. The children are the Jewish people and the Gentile nations here are described as little dogs. Now, it's not just the cold term dogs as used elsewhere on occasion. This term has a slightly more affectionate vibe to it. It's really a word that means puppies. So Jesus is looking at this situation and saying, look, I'm going to feed the children of Israel first, the Jews first. I must feed those children before I can slip leftovers, if you like, to the little dogs under the table. Well, she has an answer to that. And she replies in verse 27 and says to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Yes, I accept that, Lord, she's saying, but even us little dog benefit will benefit from some of the crumbs that fall their way. What I think has been got at here is it's painting a picture of incredible humility. She's accepting her place in all of this, yet she still believes that the Lord could help her. He could offer her something. Even the smallest something would still be enough to heal her daughter. And the Lord, hearing this, he's moved by compassion, And verse 29 and 30 tells us that he says to her, For this saying, go on your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she comes to her house, she didn't find, indeed find the demon was gone and her daughter was lying on the bed. I want you to particularly notice that he responded, even though she was a woman, even though she was a Gentile, Even though she was from the era of Tyre and Sidon, he still crossed the line. And the reason he crossed the line and did what she asked was because she had faith. Now, before we go on to the next episode of of this little narrative, I want to pause for a second and look at this. What do you see going on here? Well, you may see the desperation of a mother. Yes, that's true. You may see the determination of a feisty woman. Yes, that's also probably true. But I think what we are called to focus on here is the humility and the dependence of her on the Lord as someone who was to have considered herself an outsider. Here is a Gentile woman who is trusting the Lord. And Jesus has crossed the line to meet her where she is at her point of need. He's crossed their social, their religious barriers, all the cultural barriers of that day in order to minister to her, to minister to someone in need, someone who simply trusted and had faith in him. And what this tells me is Jesus doesn't care what barriers exist in society or in your life. He's willing to come over and minister to you. Jesus does not care what race your heritage you originate from. He doesn't care what religious background you come from. He doesn't care about your previous lifestyle or habits or faults or anything that has pushed you to the margins of society. He doesn't care even if you're rich or poor. He crosses the line to come to you where you are at your point of need to get you and to save you. And all you have to do to have him rescue you in that way is to trust him and to have faith in him that he will do that and that he wants to do that. 
God is saying here, I am here to offer forgiveness to anybody who will simply trust in me. And furthermore, whatever needs we have beyond salvation, even about to use here the most dramatic need of all, that of what is described as demon possession, he says, trust me and do as I tell you, and I can sort all those other things out as well. Others might consider these people, others might consider you or I to be the lowest of the low. Some groups in society may consider you to be nothing less than a little dog yourself. But Jesus crosses the line here, and Jesus will cross the line for you. Jesus crossed the line, and he'll cross the line. We'll always be prepared to do that when it comes to rescuing people and saving people. And that's the first of these little stories. But there's a second. Mark 7.31 continues the story. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came to the midst of the region of the Decapolis, to the Sea of Galilee. So he's again ministering to Gentiles in this area of the Decapolis. So this time it's Romans, not Greeks culturally, not people of Greek cultural heritage. So let's see who he will meet this time, picking up in verse 32, chapter 7. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looked up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that it be. In other words, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosened and he spoke plainly. Now normally when Jesus heals people, he speaks. However, he does it differently this time. Why? Well, simply because this man, we are told, could not hear. So what he does is he puts his finger in his ear and he touches his tongue and then he looks to heaven and says, be opened. So what he's doing here is providing a visual representation of what's going on so that this deaf man can actually see what he's doing. And the text tells us immediately he's healed. Then he says this, then he commanded them that they should tell no one But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all these things. He makes both deaf to hear and mute to speak. So again, Jesus here has crossed a social barrier and he heals someone who is in need. But let me pause again and make an observation about this one. I have said before that as we go together through the Gospel of Mark, we will see Jesus perform miracles for different reasons, three reasons in fact. Sometimes he will perform a miracle to confirm his message. Sometimes he'll just do it out of compassion for the person or the people involved. But the third reason is he does it sometimes to communicate spiritual truths. In other words, physical healings can also have spiritual meanings. For example, when he heals someone here who cannot hear, uh, when he heals someone elsewhere who is unable to see, Well, it's perhaps obvious to say, but the Lord is using this as a metaphor about the healing of those people who are spiritually deaf, or those people who don't hear his message, or who don't see his truth, even when it's laid out before them. The thing to recognize here is that when we trust in God and have faith in him, he will spiritually open up your ears, he will spiritually open up what you hear, 
what in a way that you can understand in your spirit what he's saying to you and he will open your eyes to see so that you can see things in your life and in the world not as other people see them but as he sees them okay so finally now we're in the third episode of this little trio of miraculous activities and here he crosses the bridge in chapter 8 tells us in those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and have had nothing to eat and if I send them away hungry to their own houses they will faint on the way for some have come from great afar so do you see what's going on here now if you've been following you through with me through the life of Christ over these last three weeks as betrayed in Mark you'll know we have encountered this identical problem before that's right this is the second time and he is again testing his disciples in exactly the same way as he did the first time by how he's framing and questioning what the response to this situation should be so this time you'd think having been through this once before they'd get it wouldn't you Remember, he fed 5,000 people a while ago and there were 12 large hamper-style baskets left over. They should have got it then. They might even, some have suggested, have these hamper baskets at home, in their homes or in their yards, sitting there as a reminder of what the Lord had done that day when they trusted him. So how will they get on this time? Will it be any better? Well, let me tell you. Verse 4 says, Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? So how did they do, folks? Well, they still didn't get it. Then it tells us Jesus said this. He asked them, How many loaves do you have? The good news is this time they've more loaves than they had last time. They just had five, but now it says they've got seven. And remember this time there's only 4,000 to feed, not 5,000. Anyway, they say, seven loaves. He commanded the multitude to sit down in the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and then they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now, how large do you think these baskets were this time? Well, if you're familiar with the story in Acts, when Paul is let down in a large basket from the city walls in order to escape from Damascus, he's lowered down in a huge hammock-style basket. The word used here in the original language is the word for a basket, the same type of basket that was used to lower the man down the outside of the city wall. So these are enormous baskets. It's not the same words used to describe the baskets last time, a miracle of the previous feeding, which were bread baskets, hamper-style baskets. These are hammock-sized baskets. So Jesus here and Mark in the text really wants us to grasp hold of the truth once and for all that he's saying he's going to meet the needs of people in abundance. So the total sum of these episodes put together is simply this. My friends, Jesus will cross any line of religious or personal or even moral separation in order to minister to anyone in need who has faith. That, my friend, is the big spiritual truth here. Just in case you missed it, because you might easily, after all the disciples missed it also, I'm going to break it down for you and put it in as straightforward a manner as I can. 
and that is one jesus loves everybody jesus loves the world for god so loved the world that familiar phrase he loves everyone he even loves examples of the extreme he loves demon possessed pagans and demon possessed jews he loves everyone and he will minister to anyone and everyone who trusts in him and the point is because he loves everyone that means you know what that means he loves you and me friend let me put it like this let me put it in today's terms what it really means for all or any of us who are listening to this today the lord loves you he loves you if you have a problem he loves you if you have a drinking problem the lord loves you if you're a single parent if you're divorced separated married or unmarried but he still loves them he loves people who are in hospital he loves people who are in prison he loves women who have never had a relationships and he loves women who have had an abortion he loves men who are addicted to football he loves men who are addicted to porn get the message friend no matter what jesus loves you he doesn't care what you've done or how many times you've done it he will always cross that line to come and get you and rescue you and bring you back to his side of the line and the life that lies beyond that living on that side of the line he loves you he died for you and he will forgive you he will come and get you and he'll even clean you up when he does that jesus loves everyone now the sad truth particularly in this day and age is many many people feel totally unlovable unworthy and unwanted well good news friends jesus loves you he loves the unlovable he loves the unworthy and he loves the unwanted so if you have ever felt excluded if you've ever felt on the outside kicked out locked out all you need to know is that jesus loves you and wants you on his side of the line get it jesus loves everyone including you and including me all right one final thought the closest thing i can think of in describing to you the love of jesus christ in human terms is to say the love of a parent whose desire is to pour out their love and favor upon their child and to do it in abundance now i too have grown up children but i have to confess i have a favorite child don't judge me for that but i do have a favorite child one with whom at a particular point in time i feel a special closeness one with whom i share a special love that no one else could possibly understand and my favorite child is the one who is too sick to go out of bed on their birthday the one who had measles on their sports day my child is the one who had a fever in the middle of the night and acute abdominal pain just where their appendix should be my favorite child is the one lying in pain in a and e in my arms waiting for an x-ray my favorite child was the one who was really nervous before their nativity play my favorite child is the one who had a tooth chipped by the school bully my favorite child is the one i grinded for playing on his computer when i told him to switch it off my favorite child is the one i chastised for lying my favorite child is the one who is alone away from the family at a special time the one who messed up in an important exam my favorite child is the one who made a catastrophic wrong choice my favorite child is the one who had their money stolen on holiday the one who got into a destructive friendship 
My favourite child is the one who slammed the bedroom door on me in frustration and cried, and even when they didn't think I knew they cried. My favourite child is the one who shut themselves in their room and wouldn't talk to me for a day. My favourite child is the one who needed picking up in the middle of the night because their transport plans weren't arranged properly. My favourite child is the one who failed their driving test. My favourite child is the one who is angry, vulnerable and lonely and has no idea of where they're going in the future. I have a favourite child, it's true. But my favourite one, my favourite one is always the one who needs my favour pouring out into their life at any given moment. My favourite child is the one who needs to hug me, the one who needs to cling to me, the one who needs me to believe that it will be all right in the end and everything will be okay for them. His favourite child is all of these things too. His favourite child is the one who needs him most, the one who needs his favour pouring into his life. So much so that he will cross the line to bring back that favourite child back to where they need to be. And all they have to do, all we have to do, is trust that he can do that and he will do that. Okay, wow, isn't that great to know? Isn't that good to know? I do hope you find that an encouragement, particularly if you feel marginalised or excluded in any way. Know that God will cross over to where you are at your point of need and bring you back to be with him. So thank you for joining with me today as we work together through this amazing story, this gospel account of the life of Christ and the amazing thing he taught us through his words and his ministry. Can I just remind you that this podcast is hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com. You can, of course, listen to it and subscribe to it wherever you get your favourite podcasts from, but it is there you're guaranteed to find all the active links to all the extra resources and the other places I post teaching and resources. Things like an episode notes page, and a transcript of each podcast are available there. But there's links to places through to like the YouTube channel, Facebook and social pages, even the Patreon account, the place where you can go and support this ministry and ensure it remains free for as long as possible on as many platforms as possible. You even might find a link there to my Amazon page where you can support me and this ministry by buying one of my books. By becoming a patron, by the way, you will have access to bonus episodes, things that don't really fit within the sort of framework of the Bible project, but still I just put on other bits and pieces of teaching or preparation I'm doing on other projects. I make them freely available as a little bit of a thank you to those who are subscribed to supporting this ministry. But having said all that, the main thing will always be the Bible Project Daily Podcast. The project to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, to make the study of the Bible, not just the reading of it, that's good in itself, but the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of all of our lives. So I do trust I'll see you back here again very soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.